Good morning, everyone. My name is Kristen McGrew. I'm the director of Children's Ministries, and we are so excited to have you here with us this morning. If you are joining us online, I hope you would please stand. We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together as we get this service started. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us forever. Amen. Father God, thank you for this gorgeous day, for the ability to be able to wake up and come to your house and just be together in our family room. God, so that we can worship and learn more about you. God, I pray for here with us as we know that you are, God. I'm so thankful that regardless of what we're going through in our lives, whether it's a high or a low, a good time or a bad time, God, that you are faithful to be with us through all seasons. So God, remind us to rely on you. Remind us of your faithfulness always and just give us the extra push that we need sometimes to be able to get through some of the things that we're facing. And as we're out in the community and our hearts for what you have in store for us today, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. I know Kristen just stood you up. We thought you maybe needed a little exercise this morning. So would you please sit back down just for a moment? <laughs> Thank you. We've just got something we want to show you before we start worship today. Ground that we want you to see before we begin worship. So you can draw your attention to the screen. John Newton was born in London in 1727. His godly mother, tragically father, a shipmaster. The impact of sailors and their way of life had a destructive influence on young Newton. He would struggle in a spiritual battle for years to come. Pressed into service with the British Navy, he deserted his post. He was eventually captured, stripped, and intensely flogged. More journeys, dangers, toils, and snares followed. He became involved in the Atlantic slave trade, and for an awful period, he fell into slavery himself, the servant of an abusive woman. He cried out to the Lord for help, and God miraculously saved Newton and his fellow shipmates from death. This moment in John's life was a turning point that began a slow transformation toward God's call in his life. John eventually became one of the most powerful evangelical preachers in British history, a powerful foe of slavery, and the author of hundreds of hymns. Newton's most beloved hymn, Amazing Grace, was connected to a New Year's Day sermon that he preached in Olney. Newton exhorted his congregation to look back at God's goodness, look around at all God's promises for today, and look forward to future usefulness. Interestingly, a few hours after his sermon, Newton wrote in his diary, Hope I wasn't able to speak with some liberty, but found my own heart sadly unaffected. Little did Newton realize that the new hymn he presented that day would be sung all around the world in countless different languages. Final days of his life, Newton said with great resolve, Although my memory's fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner and Christ is a great savior. For the last 250 years, this has been the truth of this timeless hymn. This is the message of our lives as well. The same God who brought us safe thus far is the same God who will safely lead us home by his amazing grace. Amen. 
that saved a wretch like me. But now I'm found Was blind But now T'was grace that told my heart To fear and grace my fears Shines like the sun on earth, it's brilliant. 
working, even when I don't see it, you're working. 
when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop, cause you are. Wait, First and foremost, that you make a way for us to reconcile with you and to, and to draw near to you. When the chasm between us is purely on us, you reached out through the work of your son and empowered us by your Holy Spirit to draw near to you, Father. We thank you for that. And Father, I thank you for these songs that speak, speak just such rich truths about who you are. As we sing those words, that those wouldn't just be words that we sing along to a melody, but they'd be truths that we internal. Holy Spirit, I pray that as Scott comes to deliver this word, that you've already prepared it, and you've prepared our hearts for it, God, that we would, we thank you that, that you will do that as, as promised. We love you, Father. It's the name of your... Greet this morning and say good morning and welcome them to church. If you're at home online watching, go, this is a great time to go get something to drink, use the restroom, and we'll meet you right back here. Good morning. I hope everybody's doing good this morning. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us today on this. It is a killer Sunday, man. I mean, it is so nice outside. Uh, my name is Tom, just to kind of spend an hour with you and uh, talk about scripture to worship and just spend some time together. Uh, at Community Life, we love God, we love our neighbor, and we believe that our mission will hold on to it but that you'll also tell other people about that source of life. And if there's anything we can do in this crazy journey of life to stand alongside you, uh, please, please, please let us know. So an infomercial, here you go, you ready? 
um, of all the cool, awesome things coming up. So next Saturday, or Saturday, this Saturday that's coming up, we're going to have like a yard work garden hangout party. Going to get all the grounds up and ready to go. Easter's coming pretty soon, and we want everything to look great. And so last week, I made the announcement, and I talked about gardening a whole lot. And so Greta said, all the ladies signed up. She said, now we need people to cut trees and do all that other stuff. I'm like, ladies can cut trees. But guys, we need you to sign up so you can come help out so we know how much food to get, and we're going to cook extra anyways. So that's coming up on Saturday, uh, March 4th. And then next week, when you come in, we will have the silent auction for the youth ministry. So they're raising money for their mission trip to Belize. So you'll have an opportunity to go through and look at some of the coolest stuff on the planet that's been donated by some of you and by local businesses. And all of those proceeds will go to help our our high school students um, get to their mission trip. And so be thinking about that uh, when you show up next week. And then last but not least, Clay is Life. It's a four-week class that invites you to learn more about the four things that we ask you to be a part of in the life of community life. Next rotation of classes, I think it's next week. It's soon, let's just say that. You guys okay? Awesome. Uh, I am so excited about a new series today. So we're moving into our Easter Amazing Grace acapella. Uh, My wife, the way she sings, it just does something. It's amazing. Um, So I figured I better marry her so I can listen. Put this series on the board last year, and then um, Lori Farmer sent us a text at the beginning of the year saying, did you know that this year was the 250th anniversary of Amazing Grace? So I've just did this deep dive on Reverend John Newton had to sing a new song in church. For those of you who fought the battle of trying to bring new stuff into churches, you know exactly what I'm talking about sometimes. People that were in the Anglican church at the time, they're like, nope, no new hymns, we're not doing it. And so Reverend John Newton came up with this plan that I thought was just so ingenious. He wrote a sermon and then he wrote a good idea. (laughs) And so I called Tammy, I said, hey, I said, how do you think about me singing a song at the end of my sermon? What a song. God has been doing some beautiful things inside of her, and she has a song that's in this text, that comes from this text, that's in where we're all sitting as a people. Here's the thing. More, thank you for that. More important than that, I believe that it's, it's the heart of God that has a word for us today, really, where we find ourselves. And for some of you, it's going to speak right to your heart. But to be clear, the series is not about the song Amazing Grace, although over the next seven weeks, you're probably going to hear 12 different iterations of Amazing Grace. The series is not about the song Amazing Grace. It is about the amazing grace that God has shown us in His Son, Jesus Christ. And unpacking that and study um, was extraordinary. We had our Ash Wednesday service right here in the gym, and something happened that I had never experienced before. We had 300 people show up for an Ash Wednesday service. What stands between us and God, and we start to root it out. We start to get rid of it. We make decisions to get that out. And when you get 300 people, and I know there are more, and so I'm looking forward to the series, what God is doing, and, and how God is moving us as a church into a new space. But, but the series, or but, but the sermon that we talked about on that night was rooted in a text that really, um, we use the text in Luke 24, which is, Luke 24, starting at verse 13, which is the story called the road to Emmaus. So that may help you to know where we're talking about. But it's Easter morning. Jesus has risen from the grave. The tomb is empty. Um, the, the, the women have gone. They found the tomb empty, but they, they're not really sure what's going on. And we find these two disciples that were in Jerusalem and their head, as the text goes on, while they're on their way to Emmaus, Jesus shows up. But, but God prevents them from being able to see that it's Jesus. And so imagine, these two disciples are heading to Emmaus. They're just totally bummed out. And Jesus walks up. He's like, hey, where are you going? It's like, what's going on? 
why he looks so sad. And they're like, and somewhere in the conversation, they say, we had only hoped that this would happen. And it's been three days. And you go through all of these moments that, oh, how slow of heart you are to believe. Then he does something profound. He, start, he takes the scripture and he starts with Moses and the prophets and he starts to explain to these two disciples, scripture is he using, Old Testament or New Testament? Because there was no New Testament, there was only the Testament. So when he opens up the, when, not, he doesn't open up the book, he starts to explain to them. He uses those Old Testament texts to reveal to them where he is and the, he blesses it and he breaks, which symbolically is the, is the matching of his life the one who was broken the bread, but did our hearts not burn inside of us as he was walking through that scripture as they understood? And so find those moments of God's grace, God's amazing grace. You, you might be able to say it this way. Go back in the Old Testament and find Jesus. If you have a hard time with that, we're gonna go back in the Old Testament and discover the God of grace that was always present, enjoying the study. I've already gone way deeper than anything I've done in a very long time, and uh, I cannot wait to dive into this. So um, amazing grace. Um, We're gonna start today in Genesis chapter three, all the way back at the very beginning. Is guess what? Genesis one and two. It's not real hard. God creates the heavens and the earth. He creates... Humankind and his, and that one boundary was this. They could eat from any tree in the garden but one. They were not allowed to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat from this tree, you will surely die. And not eat from if he'd have been more successful. Because as a parent, when you tell your child what not to do, you basically put a bullseye right on it. Is that fair? Gone. It's already gone. Right? Curfew is 10. Oh no, you just made it 10.30. Right? I mean, it's just, it's interesting. Get into Genesis chapter 3. We already identify with this chapter in ways that we know are true because it just makes sense to us, the story that we're going to go ahead and read. And so as we look into it, we have to know that this is the darkest day in human history, and this is when sin entered into humanity. So we're going to read through all of chapter 3, and um, there are some just interesting parts, and I wish... We're going to read text today in Genesis 3 that you guys, the last time y'all read it was when you were in children's ministry yourself. And your teacher then taught you this story, and you do not have the full story. And so you're going to be in the car today going, wait, what? And I wish I could be a fly on the wall and to hear some of these. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than all other wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman... Did God say, you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? So verse one already causes us some problems. You just said, wait, what? There's a talking serpent? Like, what's that all about? And and here's what I discovered. I, I do think serpents talk because if Tammy ever encounters one in the backyard, She's talking back to it, right? Like, like for some reason, they're having a, she's like, oh no, Jesus, no, no, not in my yard. And so sometimes I imagine they can talk, but there's more to it. Okay, there's more to it that I want you to understand. The word for serpent that's translated serpent is the Hebrew word nahash, which in the Hebrew can be translated serpent. It can also be translated adversary. It can also be translated as the shining one. And so if you go back to to Egyptian or Mesopotamian culture in that time frame, the way that they viewed the serpent in stories or in understanding is that the serpent or the snake would show up 
and offer two choices, life or death. Now, am I trying to tell you that this is all metaphorical? No, I'm not. I'm trying to tell you that this story was 2,500 years old. It was an oral tradition that Moses ultimately took and wrote down. And so it's possible that for them, they were talking about their adversary, but you might call somebody a name and associate them with an animal in the same way that they associated the serpent with the animal. So are we dealing with a talking serpent or are we dealing with an adversary that's talking? I don't know, go figure that out. Talk about that in the car on the way home. I'm just trying to give you a way to reconcile and to deal with the story, amen? amen. But more important than even that piece is the question that this serpent or that this adversary asks. It says, did, did God say, have you ever had somebody like, like uh, when you were growing up, you had that friend where your parents were the ones that were keeping you guys alive and, 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 and they would tell you, you're not allowed to go do that. And your friend is like, did they really say that? <laughs> or did they mean this, right? Like, and immediately start to get your mind thinking in a different direction. Did he really say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, two and three tells us that Eve knew exactly what the boundary was. The woman said to the serpent, you may eat of the tree, or, or said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch of it or you shall die. So no question, Eve knows what the boundary is. She knows what she's not supposed to do in this instance. But that's not where the adversary lets up. Verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, <laughs> I put the <laughs> in there. That was a, that's, that's what I think would be there. Maybe it's not. That's, a, that's the, I got to just keep moving. Um, just makes more sense. You'll not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be, what's that say? Like God. You'll not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now here's the interesting part, back to that Nahash, that here is the serpent offering them a choice. And if you want to get honest with it, it's a little bit of truth mixed with a lie, brought to bear, and an option that's in, fold, that's in front of Eve. He says, you will not die, not immediately, but you will. The decision that you make will bring you to that place. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. I'm going to tell you, they will not be fully like God, but there will be a piece of them that will be like God. They're already formed in the image of God, but now there will be an aspect of what they'll have to hold that will be like God, but they'll be missing an important part. And he says, knowing good and evil. Now, I need to say right here, there's a difference between knowing good and evil and being able to live into and make choices and to discern how to respond and be and live into what is good or what is evil. So there's a difference, being aware of or understanding good and evil and rightly dividing it in your life. And so you can see where this misgiving, the shading of the truth opens up a different scenario for Eve. Verse six, so what was said, well, maybe I know better. Let me just check it out. Let me look at it. When she saw that it was good and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired, something gave some to her husband who was with her, and what did he do? He ate. Why, why, did, why did he do that? Um, we just eat. That's what we did. There was no thought to it, just processed in, and, and away we go. Verse 7, then the eyes of both were opened and made loincloths for themselves. Now, you may say, Scott, that's really weird. They eat this, they eat sudden. If you did not have the ability to know good and evil, 
if all of a sudden you were given the res- this understanding of, of nakedness and you have to make decisions and conversations and understand the world in a different light as to how to turn it from, from getting the ability to, to be aware of good and evil, they immediately shut it down and they covered those areas. The freedom that came, all of those things start to settle in because they were ill-equipped to handle this new responsibility that they had just opened up their lives and their hearts to. There's grace in the story. There's an element of God's grace in here that is, that's real subtle, but I, but I think it's powerful. It says they, that's a beautiful picture of the relationship we were intended to have with God from the very beginning until this happens. And I'm going to tell you, it's a beautiful picture of the relationship we will have with God when God sets all things right and makes all things new. And our bodies are restored. His wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. So they knew that the decision that they made was wrong. And they were trying to reconcile with what to do. And so they're only... Now, here's a question you can answer out loud if you want to. Do you think God didn't know where they were? (laughs) That's a rhetorical question, right? Because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, 